0: They to you fast <laughs> the pack Are you going to <laughs> I don't so. you going you Yeah, but then, yeah. like,
1: my aunt always pursues stuff. She and yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. it was like, and like like, like, how you always say
0: that? you need an Yeah, and it's like, I see, like, people, like yeah. tiny, like, little beads, and stuff like on the footage. And so, we're like, and then, like, all of these yeah. are like, three, two, four, and it's like, damn I see and then there's like a baby that's <laughs> like barely toddling
2: around. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to get these things on the floor. like, oh I don't
0: like you know who like that a
2: baby. It's just chaos. So yeah, so it was fun. And so then like the next day, I was like, we to, to Friday. Like, yeah, we really I, so. So I like and it was like, know. I was just a I had it like a just like for yeah, they, had cars, and mm-hmm. they were able to do that. <laughs> oh, They were able do that. Yeah. That yeah. 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 I was I was like they already Yeah, oh, had I was like, No, 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 no. No, we can't do that. Yeah.
0: I'm not there into uh, i just go go. Uh, yeah. like coloring of world I have I into the last night at practice they were back there and they were at the <laughs> <laughs> They found a marker. Well, we know but what Eleanor doesn't like to do with the marker. Oh,
2: yeah. She didn't color herself. Oh. She colored the windowsill and the right. table. And I was like, what? But <laughs> well, thankfully, it was that washable. I was like, yeah. just like, yeah. got like, like, right, right, right on the pine. Like, like, oh my word, before. It was, it was all over the windowsill. And it was like,
0: it was like a dot on she had nose. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's not draw on your sister. <laughs> I know.
2: I know. She's pretty out of will be so bad if it was, it was our house. So. Let's not right here. Stand us <laughs> <I'm trying> to- <laughs> But yeah, they have <laughs> in the individual bakery section. Remember where they have like the sugar bread kit and stuff? <laughs> 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 and like I said, that was more our speed. spirit right? out. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I right, right. had to share yeah. there were things I got yeah. yeah. to meet like, oh, yeah, right. like, oh, yeah, right. my That's all the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, No. That was But I was just thinking, I was like, perfect. I So not really I was not really worried about that. Private
2: <laughs> 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 there Not Travis Rose's
0: daughter, y'all. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Haven Ridge this morning. Um, It is good to see everyone, even though we're a a small group. and, And, you know, Al and I have shared before, being a small church and being a very young church, you know, this is pretty common for For holidays. You know, sometimes we're busting at the seams, and sometimes we're very few in number. Um, You know, so this is not uncommon for us, uh, but it's a blessing to have you all here to worship with you this morning. A few announcements as we get started this morning. Um, Do uh, remember the Birchfields in your prayer. They are in Mississippi, and uh, Wesley broke his arm yesterday, had an accident crossing a, a bridge, slipped and fell, and snapped both of his. Those bones. I don't remember the names. Radius, ulna, something like that. I don't know. But uh, snap both of those. So, um, yeah. So just be in be in prayer for them. He's doing okay. He's doing you know better. He's they were released from the hospital yesterday. He's he's at his grandparents' house there. He's resting. So, but just be in prayer for them as they kind of navigate those uh, the, those those waters, uh, and as they travel home today as well. Uh, also, congratulations for the again for the Finleys uh, Baby Shepherd is born and healthy and and doing well. Um, and uh, also, uh, be in prayer for the Wilsons. Their baby is due any day now. I haven't heard any update. To, er, Past due. Was due yes. So beyond due. Yes. Yeah. So definitely due any day. So just be in prayer uh, for them as they're expecting their their child. Uh, sign up on uh, on Discord for. Uh, uh, for meal trains you know, as, those, as those come available already up for the, for the Finleys. Alright, I uh, do want to say a special thank you for uh, April and Tracy and Natalie for decorating uh, for our holiday, for Christmas, uh, all the decorations that are put up. Thank you ladies for, uh, for taking care of that and getting that all set up. Uh, Also I noticed that we have uh, Christmas cards that came in from Doug and Lauren our missionaries in Asia. Um, So do grab one of those just for you and your family so you can be updated on how to pray for uh, for that specific missionary family uh, as they minister to folks in Asia. Okay. Uh, One other further note, um, if you noticed as you drove in, they had, uh, Oney Village had set up to sell Christmas trees and some of the stakes and and lights and some of that arrangement is still out in the field. So just ask uh, kids, stay away from those. If y'all play after the service in the field, just stay away from those areas. Parents, adults, try and help keep the kids out of that area. Uh, all right, a couple things on the calendar. Um, no young girls Bible study this evening. Um, next week, young ladies, y'all will be in your final chapter, which is a very short chapter, um, and you y'all will meet here at the church at 4:30, uh, and then y'all have a progressive pajama dinner. All right, that'll be until 7:30. So parents, 4:30 to 7:30. Uh, next Sunday, meet here at the church. It'll be a progressive dinner, bring, wear your PJs, um, and then y'all will finish at the Birchfields house. So parents all pick up the kids 7.30 at the Birchfields house. I believe there's also going to be a gift exchange. So uh, ladies, bring a $5 wrapped gift, and that'll be a lot of fun. So that'll be the final Young Girls Bible study will be next Sunday, our next Sunday, excuse me. Uh, also just a reminder, as we typically do, do we take a break with missional communities through the month of December. So uh, MCs, if y'all want to meet, have a meal, do a Christmas meal that's certainly up to you. We won't have formal meetings. Alan and I won't be putting out questions for the month of December and we'll pick back up in January as we normally do. Okay, uh, next Saturday morning deacons meeting, that'll be at 7.30 here at the church. Uh, Also next, uh, excuse me, that's I say Saturday? That's next Sunday. Yes. Uh, Jamie, thank you. (laughs) Sunday, next Sunday morning uh, and that Sunday evening, that'll be the fifth at six thirty. Team leaders, Alan and I will meet with you just kind of do a year end review. So that'll be six thirty here at the church next uh, next Sunday. Uh, also don't forget our night of worship, a time of Christmas worship, that'll be December the 12th here at the church building. It'll be family style, so bring your children, no child care will be provided, uh, but certainly bring the little ones, we want them to be uh, part of the worship as well. So, But that'll be a wonderful time, just of singing, very gospel-oriented Christmas-themed music, uh, scripture reading, lots of prayer. Uh, so just come, there will be a wonderful time of just intimate fellowship as we worship the Lord, and that'll be December the 12th. Uh, and then, lastly, December the nineteenth, we'll have our final youth brainstorming meeting. We want to kind of launch this youth program uh, sometime in January. So, the final meeting—hopefully that'll be the final kind of meeting—we'll put a lot of the logistics and things together. That'll be on the nineteenth. So, mark your calendars for that. that. That's the that's the Sunday before Christmas. Okay. Uh, if there's any issues with that date, Alan, I'd just kind of pick that one out. If there's any issues with anybody, um, you know, who's who's really been plugged into that, let us know. Um, you know, just just keep us up, uh, updated on that. I think that's it. I'm looking out. anybody see anybody Did I miss anything? Usually, I go to Alan for this, and since they're not here, so I have to see. Okay. All right. Well, that's the end of our announcements. I'm going to ask Jamie to come up and give our call to worship.
1: All to worship today is Hebrews 13, uh, verse 15. Through him, him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our worship would be pleasing aroma to you today as we conduct it the lens of worshiping the work, work that your son has done for us, I pray that uh, those leading us today would have clarity, I pray that uh, we would just focus on you as we worship and sing in his name, I pray.
2: All right, y'all can stand and sing with us this morning. Stu Christ is born for you. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born. Peace for those who believe. He's the Lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for To those who sit in death's shadow The sun on high pierced the night Born was the cornerstone Unto us a son is given Unto us a child is born He who is He's mighty is done a Taken on flesh, conquered death's sting Shattered the darkness and lifted our shame Holy is His name Oh, the freedom our Savior won The yoke of sin has been broken Once a slave, now by grace No more condemnation Unto us a son is given Unto us a child is born He who is mighty has done a great thing taken on flesh conquered death sting shattered the darkness and lifted our shame holy is his name holy is his name now my soul magnifies the Lord I rejoice in the Saves I will trust His unfailing Love I will sing His praises All my days Now my soul Magnifies The Lord I rejoice In the God who saves I will trust His unfailing Love I will sing His praises all my days. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Be seated.
0: All right. Kids, if you want to come up and join me, we're going to continue our, our journey through the Bible. It's good to see everybody this morning. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Everybody ate turkey? Yeah. Everybody loved turkey? Yeah. Not everybody? I not know. Everybody have ham? Yeah. Maybe lots of sweets. That's really the reason you eat the turkey, right, is so you can clean your plate and then eat the sweets. Now, what would you have? Uh, Steph? Uh, I okay, I got you. Yes? Out on my adventure at, at, at Thanksgiving, I got toys. Yes, yes, you had an adventure through the woods with cousins. That was lots of fun. <laughs> that's a toy. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, Good morning. So this morning we're going to continue our story through the Bible talking about uh, how the Bible, how all the little stories of the Bible fit together to tell one big story about God and his glory and what our part is in it. Okay, so last week, well, let me kind of, I'll summarize where we've been. Okay, so God created a kingdom, right? He created the universe, created the world. All right, and he didn't want to rule the world alone. So he created Adam and Eve in his image, right? And he gave them the responsibility to care for the creation, right? Take the worship of me, the relationship you have with me. Okay? And I want you to take that and and make more more image bearers, right? Have children, spread the garden and spread that throughout all the earth, right? But then something happened. Right? What happened? What that's right. Exactly. Sin came into the world, broke that relationship, right? Damaged it. But and so God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden, right? Send them out. But He gave them a promise. Okay. Remember, He gave them a promise, and He said, "I will do battle against the serpent." Okay. And I will send someone in the future who will crush his head. Say, so I'm going to do away with this curse. So He gave hope. Right, and so last week we looked at kind of how God is carrying out that promise of He's going to crush the serpent, He's going to do battle with sin, He's going to win, okay, and He's going to fix everything. And he and the last week we talked about one person, right? Do you remember who it was? Okay, Jesus, big picture, but there was somebody specific. No, not not Satan, serpent. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Starts with Abe and then Raham. Hey, there we go, Abraham. Yeah, we talked about and yep, and we talked about Abraham, and God gave a, a a promise to Abraham, right and that promise was, I am going to well wait a minute I'll get into this we had a scripture we had to remember okay, see if we can remember the scripture verse from last week okay I know it was Thanksgiving week, and if you're like my family, that was a little hard right to to kind of keep rolling with with scripture so let's see you guys help help me remember this okay I'm going to say it too okay this was from Genesis. And I will bless you and I will make, or I will make a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. See, I'm already struggling with this. Okay, let's try again. I will make a great, make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Right. And you, so you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? Genesis 12, 2, and 3. Okay, that was a tough one. Okay, again, Thanksgiving week makes it tough. Okay, but that's, a, that's an important verse, right? Because God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And in you, all the people in the on the earth, okay, now and in the future, they're going to receive a blessing, okay? I will make of you a great nation. So that's what we talked about last week. Okay, well this week we're going to see how God expands that. He makes that promise bigger. We get a little bit more specific. Okay, so God, he, he told this to Abraham, okay? And remember, Abraham didn't have any kids at the time. He didn't have any land, right? If you're going to have a nation, you're going to have people and you're going to have land. And Abraham didn't have any of those. But God said, I will give you those. Okay, time went on and Isaac was born to Abraham. Isaac and Esau, and then later Isaac has children of his own, and one of those uh, one of the children that he has is Jacob. Okay, and so God's continuing this promise. He has Jacob. Well, Jacob, Jacob has twelve sons, twelve children. Yeah, now Jacob's got a broken family. Okay, when you look at Jacob and his family, it's it's broken. Okay, his he he's got he's got a very mixed up relationship between he and some other ladies okay he's got his sons have different moms like it's a it's a broken family you know but God is being faithful to carry out his promises even through this brokenness even through these imperfections okay so you have this family okay and there are these brothers now one of those brothers gets sold into slavery do you remember his name Joseph. That's right. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Okay, so you may remember that story. Joseph in his multicolored coat. He's the dreamer, right? His brothers don't like him. Sell him into slavery. Okay, he goes into Egypt. All of these things, right? God brings a famine. Okay, everybody starts to starve. But he prepared to save his special family through Joseph. Because Joseph is Joseph... Is he's he's the right hand man of Pharaoh, who's kinda of like the king of Egypt at the time. Okay? God prepares to preserve his special family and keep that promise by putting Joseph in charge of all the food and letting Joseph know, hey, you know what? Guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna bring seven years of famine. That means seven years where there's no food. Seven years where there's no food that grows on the ground or anything. So Joseph, you need to prepare for that. So Joseph says, okay. And he stores up food for seven years beforehand. So when the famine comes, he has food that he can give to the people. Okay? Well, the key people that's in there that God's trying to do all of this in order to carry out his purposes is Abraham, or excuse me, is Joseph's family. Jacob, right? Jacob is Joseph's dad. Okay, so they move to Egypt, right? There's a wonderful family reunion that happens there. Okay, but one of the big key points is that God is continuing to carry these promises through. Okay, he's not going to let famine, he's not going to let a broken family mess up his promises. Okay, he's going to carry this through. Alright, so years go by, years go by. Jacob, Jacob's older and he's about to die. Okay, and he brings his, his sons around him. Okay, something that was customary for in, in that ancient time was that the father of the household, when he was about to die, he would give a blessing to all of his sons. Okay, and this was a big deal. Okay, well that's where we find us this morning, as we find that we're going to look at one of the blessings that, Je- that Jake, uh, Jacob gives to one of his sons. Okay, so this is Genesis 49.10. Okay, now this blessing he's giving to Judah. Judah is one of Jacob's brothers. Okay, so here's the blessing, and this is our verse for this week. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute uh, comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Genesis 49.10. Now, when do you think about a scepter? What a king or queen. That's right, a king or queen yeah. holds that. Absolutely. That's royalty, right? Now, let me ask you this. Is Judah a king? No, he's not a king. Not at all. In fact, nobody's really a king in that family. Okay? Joseph's probably the closest. He's Pharaoh's right-hand man. But you know what? As time goes on, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh dies, the next Pharaoh, he forgets about Joseph. Okay? Okay? And we'll find that, that the people of Israel get treated very, very badly by the next Pharaoh. But that's later, okay? Okay, but right now, here's this promise that's being given to Judah about a kingly line, about a kingly line, okay? Now, how many of you have seen the movie, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, Chronicles are already a great movie if you haven't seen it, Okay. There's a line in it. One of the themes, one of the big ideas that runs through that story is, is that when, when a son of Adam sits on the throne in Narnia, that things go well. Yeah. So there's a scene in the movie when, when Lucy and Edmund and, and all the Pevensey children, they're sitting, they're sitting in the badger's home. Truffle hunters, the name of the badger, and the badger says, you know. Narnia is never right unless the son or daughter of uh, uh, of Adam is seated on the throne. And what the author there, C.S. Lewis, was trying to capture, just a minute, okay, was trying to capture was this idea that that of, of a kingly order, okay, the promise that God would send someone in order to sit on that throne, okay? And so we see this promise given to Judah. Okay, now if if there's, there's, I'll tell you this, Judah's not one to really fit the picture of a king. If you're going to pick from all of Jacob's kids about who was going to be a king, maybe Joseph, but not Judah. Okay, do, you, do, you know, do you know who decided that, hey, you know who told his brothers, hey, let's sell this young kid, let's sell J- Joseph to slavery, let's make some money off of him? Judah. It was Judah. Yeah. And we look at Judah's story, he's pretty, he's pretty messed up. He's got, he's got a lot of problems. Okay? So Judah doesn't really fit the picture of what we might think of somebody being a king. And yet this is what God, the promise that God gives through Jacob's blessing. Okay? Is that that through Abraham's line, through his family, I'm going to bless all the nations. Okay? Well, how are you going to do that, God? I'm going to make one of them a king. Did you catch that part at the end of the verse? Where he said, all the nations, all the peoples will bow to him. Right? That's not just king of like a little bitty place. That's everything. Right? That's everything. So we see how God expands and he gives us a little more detail about how he's going to carry out this promise. Okay? He tells Abraham. Okay, we'll we'll sum up here. Okay, we'll finish. He tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to people. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through the nation I'm going to bring about through you. And then we find out, how's he going to do that? Well, someone will come along in that line who's going to be from Judah's tribe, from Judah's family, and he will be a king. All right? So we're putting puzzle pieces together. It's clicking, isn't it? Right? Who's that king? Jesus. Jesus. There you go. That's right. That's right. So we're working that direction. All right. Well, that's our verse for today. Okay. I hope that's that's been helpful. Okay. As we're putting these stories together to see how does all these little stories tell one big story about God's glory and how we fit in it. Just a minute, sweetie. All right. Let's pray. Okay. And then you guys can go with Miss Leslie if you're going to your Sunday school class. All right. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the blessing of grace that you've given in your word through Jesus. Father, thank you for that we can live this side of the cross to look back and see how all these stories fit together. Thank you, Father, that as you've given the promise to Judah, Father, who was so unlikely and unfitting and unworthy to be a king, to have this come from his family. And Father, in your mercy and your grace, you carry out your promises through broken and oftentimes unfit people. And so, Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you that we can look and see that that king would be Jesus, the very baby who was born in a manger so long ago, who we worship at Christmas. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can go. Thank you.
2: You can stand with us again. two. Turn- to the hill side where justice and mercy embrace there the Son of God gave his life for us and our measure this dead was erased Jesus to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the morning See Christ the lion awake What a glorious dawn Fear of death is gone For we carry his life in our veins Jesus, to you we lift our eyes Jesus, our glory and our pride. Adore you, behold you, our, our Savior, Savior ever, ever true. Oh Jesus, we turn, turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the heavens, our King will return for his own. Every need tongue, will shout all glory to Jesus alone. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh Jesus we, we turn our eyes to you Oh Jesus we turn our eyes to you Prepare Christ Show us Christ we go. You have the words of eternal life. Show us Christ. Show us Christ.
1: Seated. Dear Henry Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, Austin as he's preparing to bring us the word, Lord. Please give him clarity of thought and word, Lord, and uh, that he would rightly divide the word of truth. Thank you for our church and and the blessing they are to uh, each and every one of us and uh, help us to be a blessing to one another. Um, pray a special uh, prayer for for Wesley and, and that he would uh, be healed uh, quickly, Lord. And, and please bring the Birchfields back uh safely to us thank you for the uh, week of thanksgiving and the yearly reminder to be thankful for all that we have and all that you've done for us especially in uh, jesus christ that he died on the cross for our sins that uh, he would give salvation to those who would believe in him and we thank you especially for that and uh, in your name i pray amen
0: Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the Book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 17. We're going to take a take a brief detour from our uh, our study through Galatians today. As you're turning there, I want to want to thank April and Aaron O'Neill for carrying the weight of the band this morning due to folks being out of town and and sicknesses some of those that came on very suddenly they were, were surprisingly the 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 core group of the band and and made up our worship this morning so thank you guys for uh for for leading us in worship this morning can't tell you how much I appreciate that how much the church appreciates it all right so psalm chapter 17 we're going to look at one verse verse 15 um, I'm going to read 13 through 15 just to give a little bit of context. Um, but let me read this. I'll pray and I'll just kind of tell you where this sort of sort of comes from. I feel like these mics are going to sneak up on me. There. All right. Psalm 17, starting in verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, this is our verse, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Let's pray. Father God, there's so much here. So many things I want to say. Keep me tethered to your word, Father, to this text and what you've shown me in it. That, Father, we might set before us the same goal as David to be satisfied in seeing you one day. That that would make up the drumbeat of our life, wouldn't just be an accessory that we tack on wouldn't just be something we pursue in certain seasons or Father that we might just struggle with, but Father it would be the all encompassing drumbeat of our life to be satisfied in you so Father would you come, as I read your word would you bring clarity to what I have to say and Father would you exalt your name and your saints this morning it's in Jesus name we pray, amen so, kind of a little context for where, where this comes from. Um, I think it comes from a couple of different things. One, um, one being the, this study we've been doing with the children, how you know these 16 verses or sets of verses fit together to tell one big story you know, in, in scripture. Um, you know, that's been really encouraging for me. I hope it has been, you know, for you just to see how it's all connected together, um, just through a series, you know, of, of verses. Um, and so one of the things we want to do this morning is, is try and connect a primary theme in scripture. And we're going to go Genesis through Revelation, okay? And you'll be here till nine o'clock tonight. No, I'm kidding, no. But I just I want to. We're going to look at several verses, you know, and and I want to connect them through this particular verse. you know so that that 's one thing, kind of where this comes from, um but then also well, and also just seeing some of the themes we 've talked about with the children, seeing that come in full with this particular text and some others that we 'll look at so that 's kind of where that comes from the The other thing is just being a fitting time um it being thanksgiving, it being christmas season um and Living in a, in a culture, living in a world that is, as, you, as, the year, as years go by, and honestly as the months go by, is becoming more and more secular. And you get to these holiday seasons like Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and when the gospel is removed from these holidays, they become very, very difficult to actually celebrate. The idea of celebrating thanksgiving without a personal knowable God to whom you can give thanks changes the nature of thanksgiving. Christmas without a Savior who is born in a manger changes the nature of Christmas. And and so I don't know about you, but oftentimes I get to this time of the year and and. There's the hustle and the bustle and the potsing and the shushing and, you know, all of that kind of things, the, you know, the gifts. And, and it's just a crazy busy time of year. And so often I get to it and I'm like, I just want to stop. I want to, I want to embrace the season. I want, to, I want to enjoy it. You know, I want to, I want to grow closer to God. You know, so many things I want. And, and it's oftentimes it's a struggle. It's a battle. Um, we want to enjoy the holidays, you know, those, those types of things. If we're not careful, our priorities become misplaced. And so this is what I want to do as we, as we put a cap on Thanksgiving and we move into the Christmas season, all these things kind of come together. I, I want us to step back and get a big kind of 10,000 foot view of a primary theme in scripture that really helps orient us, I think, during these seasons. Okay. So here, here's my main idea. Here's what, here's what I want to, here's what I want to put forward this morning. And it's, it, it's. If, you know, from this verse, verse 15, that fully knowing God and being satisfied in Him is the end of the gospel and of redemptive history. Let me say that again. Fully knowing God and being satisfied in our relationship with Him, that's the end of the gospel. That's, what the, that's where the gospel goes. And of the, all of redemptive history, it's where it's all pointing. Okay? And so if you, if you take the gospel like a diamond... Okay, you take a diamond and you hold it up to a light and you turn it. Okay, the different facets, the different faces of the diamond, are they reflect? And as you spin it, the different facets reflect differently based on how the light enters and reflects and kind of all that you know fun physics stuff. Okay, if you take the gospel and you hold it up to the light of God's glory and you spin it, you'll see different facets. Different things will reflect. Okay? And you can talk about, we can talk about God's glory, we can talk about God's mercy, His justice, our need for a Savior. All of these things, you know, will shine as you spin the gospel. Okay? But one of the primary things that shines in that, and this is what I'll focus on this morning, is that God is driving in His promises and His redemptive history, things past, and particularly the things that are to come are focused on our fully knowing God through Jesus and our being satisfied in Him. Okay? And when that's not our pursuit, holidays like Thanksgiving and like Christmas, they become lacking in what they promise. Okay? So that's 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 where I'm going this morning. The title of the message is our future satisfaction. Okay? Now... June two thousand and nineteen, when we were in the book of John, um, Alan preached a, a wonderful sermon on being satisfied in Jesus. Why' we pursue lesser joys or lesser uh, uh, lesser satisfactions um, from uh, from John chapter four and then uh, sometime that same month later, I preached a parallel sermon um, from uh, from isaiah fifty five so this morning i 'm not going to go back and um, I'm not going to answer those questions today. How are we satisfied in Jesus? Why do we pursue lesser glories? Those types of things. Um, if, you, if you want more of a fuller picture, I encourage you to go through the website. You can, you can listen to both of those sermons, I believe. I know I still have my notes from, from that one if you, if you want those. I'm sure Alan does too. Um, it's Just to get a fuller picture. Of what does it mean to be satisfied in God? What does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? Okay? Um, but what I want to look at today is our future satisfaction. Okay, it is, again, this is the theme, this is one of the themes that's running through Scripture, is our being satisfied in God through Christ, okay? And that that is what God is moving towards when Jesus returns. And that that should affect everything in our life, okay, from how we experience the holidays to how we plan, make plans for our future, okay? So, with all that kind of big picture, you know, boundaries in mind, Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Alright? This is, if you think of this like a hill. This verse like a hill. I don't mean, know if you've ever been, been hiking, Brian has. Been hiking, go up on a mountain. Sometimes you stand up on a hill, you stand up on a mountain and you can see like multiple states or you can see you can see a lot of different things and you can connect a lot of the geography around you. Right, to see how how all the pieces of the geography fit together you know in, in your area well if, if this think of this verse like a hill that we will stand on okay and we can see how this theme fits together throughout scripture all right so I want to make four points this morning from this from this text okay the first is I want us to see the boldness of David's statement it's easy to gloss over it but I want to see how Bold. Just how bold his statement is. And from that I want to see that there is a need that must be fulfilled. And then our being satisfied in God. Out of that fulfilled need comes our being satisfied in God. And then lastly, I want to look look at that satisfaction completed. Okay. So the boldness of David's statement, the need that must be fulfilled, And then how we're satisfied in God. Or our being satisfied in God out of that need. And then that satisfaction completed. Alright? Alright, so let's dive in. The boldness of David's statement. David says, as for me, I shall behold your face. I shall behold your face. Now if you know anything about the Old Testament, that should stop you right there. Because nobody, nobody saw God's face. You, you couldn't do it. Right? You, you couldn't go up to the tabernacle, knock on the door, "Excuse me, I'd like to see God." Excuse me, hey, uh, priest, can I have a meeting with God? Can we can we see face to face?" It didn't didn't happen. Right? That didn't happen. That the, the, the so much of the Old Testament that's written in in so much of the tabernacle, the temple, its construction, the laws, demonstrated the separation between God and humanity. And we got to go back to Genesis 1 and 3 to see this, right? To see that the, the root of this, and what I want us to see, I know this is familiar, you know, for, for most everybody, I believe. Genesis 1 and 3 is familiar, but I want us to see specifically the root of this separation is intentionally relational. It's intensely relational. A lot of times we can look at this and, and, and see, well, it's legal, You know, it's a legal separation. Yes, it is. Remember those facets? Okay, we're not looking at the legal part today. We're looking at the relational part today. Okay, so recall Genesis 1 and 3, right? God makes man. He makes man in his image. He puts man in the garden to care for it. And it says that God walked with Adam. Walked with man in the garden. Okay, already there's a nearness and there's a closeness. There's a fellowship between God and man. I okay, want you to see that. God walked with Adam. He saw him face to face. There's a relationship there. There's a closeness. Alright? And God gave Adam a charge. Right? He said be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? We talked about, I talked about this with the children weeks ago. Right? That was their mandate. Adam and Eve. Right, That the worship of God. Right, That right relationship that was happening between them and it was happening, okay, between he and his image bearers. They were uh, in the created world. What was happening there in the garden? He wanted them to, to spread that, right? We talked about, I talked about with the kids that this is the garden, right? This is the place where this is happening. But that means that that's not happening outside the garden. And so God wanted Adam and Eve to bear children, teach them the relationship that he had with them, right? And then their right relationship with creation I want you to do that and now take this outside the garden. Spread this throughout the earth. Spread it throughout the earth. Sharing and spreading that satisfying relationship that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall. That was to be their goal of their lives. But then sin entered in, right? Sin entered in, shifted those desires elsewhere. See, it wasn't enough that Adam and Eve... It wasn't enough for Adam and Eve to be like God, and have a relationship with Him. They wanted to be God, right? And that was something they were not made for. And and I think the the I think the, the intensity of the personal relationship and their being satisfied in God in the garden. I think that comes to light when we see the when we see what they did when they felt shame. Right? enters the garden, right? Their, their, their eyes are open. And then what did they do? Scripture says they hid themselves and they made loin coverings for themselves. They hid themselves from God and from each other. Right? Okay, but then why did they make loin coverings? It, nothing anatomically changed. Scripture didn't say that. You ever thought about that? Why did they make loin coverings? I think this is my best answer for this. God gave to Adam and Eve, he gave to man and woman, he gave them sexual intimacy within the safe boundaries of marriage, of the covenant of marriage as a means of experiencing relational satisfaction. Being satisfied in one another. Okay, not in not in satisfaction in the completion of the act itself but rather in the joy that they found in one another. Okay, now, here's an important point. It's not the only means of relational satisfaction. I think that's crucial. I think that's important that we, that we see that, we not run off the rails, okay? That there's time spent with one another, right? There's gift giving that can take, there's all these other ways we can be satisfied in one another in our relationships, Okay? But specifically when we look here in the garden and what Adam and Eve did when they felt shame is that the one of the very specific and relationally intense means of relational satisfaction that God gave as a gift to husband and wife. They covered themselves because that was broken. Their relationship with one another and with God was broken. They, they covered, and we use the phrase unpresentable parts in our family with our kids. You know, why do we wear these things? We'll cover your unpresentable parts. No. They covered their unpresentable parts. It, was, it signified a break in their relationship together and their satisfaction with one another and with God. As they're saying, I'm not safe with you, Adam. I'm not safe with you, Eve. You're not safe with me. My desires for my own satisfaction no longer are rightly oriented, and we're not safe with God. Does that make sense? Helps see the, the relationship there and the, and the satisfaction that took place before the fall and how sin changed that. And so what happened? God, Consequently, God kicked him out of the garden, Right? They, they did die. They died in their relationship with God. God no longer walked with them. They no longer walked with them in the garden. And not only were they cast out, they were barred from it. If the garden was the place where they had that intimate, close relationship with God, it's significant that they were barred from going back in there. A lot of people I've heard of make much about, well, if we find the Garden of Eden, it's got to be this special place, you know, with... With fountain of youth and all these other things. No, this is the place where God met with people face to face. And when he barred them from it, it wasn't like there's something magical about the waters or the, whatever the stuff that was there. What was phenomenal was his relationship with people there. And it's symbolic when he kicks them out and he places an angel there with a spinning sword of fire. Then he bars them from it. it means that you can't come back and have that relationship with me. You have died in that relationship with me. You are no longer satisfied in this because your satisfactions have been turned elsewhere. Kicked them out, barred them. So here's the, here's the key point. That sin made a separation between God and man, and it broke that relationship. Okay, that's nothing new. Okay, at, at The foundation of everything I'm going to say is hopefully this is nothing new. Maybe it's just seeing it in a little bit different light, hopefully a little clear. Okay. Broken relationship. Man was no longer satisfied in God, but looked for satisfaction outside of God. Okay, that, that's, that's what happened at the fall. And so the curse continued. This is what we see all through the rest of the Old Testament. I think it's summed up well. Remember when Moses, Moses wants to see God. And he said, God, I, you know, I want to see your face. And what does God say? He says, no one can see my face and live. And live. That curse broke that relationship. Broke that satisfaction that was in place. And so hope as we, get, as we kind of drift back over here. And we get back on course with Psalm 17. We see the phenomenal boldness of David's, David's statement. Right? Where he says, I shall behold your face. It runs against the very grain of the curse that sin had plagued humanity with since Genesis 3. David, that's a bold statement. Nobody sees God and lives because our satisfactions are misplaced. So out of that, David then says, if his statement isn't bold enough, he makes it even stronger when he says, I will see your face in righteousness. See, the solution to the Genesis 3 problem was that we have to be made right with God. Right We have to be made right with, made right with God. And this is, this is our, our next point, point two. There's a need that has to be fulfilled. We have to be made right with God. The relationship must be fixed, right? God is holy. He's going to punish sin wherever it's found. That's clear from the Old Testament. But He's also infinitely merciful. And David knew this. right David David's one in scripture as a man after God's own heart. He knows God's justice, but he also knows God's mercy. David's hope was not in his own righteousness, but that God would count him righteous. Right? I think we can say this. I can say this because David wrote another psalm. He wrote a lot of psalms, but he wrote another psalm, Psalm 2. Right? another psalm psalm 2 which was a celebration of a future Israelite king who would be the messiah who would in or to whom the nations would be given as an inheritance and who would and those who would take refuge in this future king would be blessed david spoke of this through jesus that's what, that's what Peter and John say when they're released from prison. They point to this Psalm, Psalm two, and says, "Through the Holy Spirit, David spoke of Jesus." Now, I don't know how much David knew, I don't know how much he understood, but I know these psalms are here. I know that they point forward to the coming Christ. Clearly, David put his hope not in his own righteousness but he put his hope in the future, uh, put in his future hope of being righteous and in God's ability to carry out his promise to break the curse through the future king who would save God's people from their sin. David knew, I've got to be justified, I've got to be sanctified, I've got to be made right before God if I'm going to have any hope of seeing God. You know, oftentimes the dissatisfaction in our life boil down to the fact that we are not right before God. If we're not right before God, then we are dissatisfied. Isn't it fitting that God, how does he make us, how does he make us right? We can't do it on our own. How does he make us right? He sends Jesus. He sends his son. Right? The one who is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews says that it was fitting for him, for the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. You see the intenseness, the relationship that's there. The humanity of Jesus. Is crucial in our relational component to, to God. It's significant that we have a personal Savior, one who would fit us for being for seeing God. Right? What does John say in 1 John three two? He says, "He says when Jesus come, when Christ comes back, and I'm paraphrasing this, I'm sure when Christ, when Jesus comes back, we don't know what it, we're what, he, what we're going to be like. But you know what? I know this: we're going to be like Him because we'll see Him as He is." We will be, Christ fits us for seeing God, for being satisfied in him. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world, right? You read Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. It is intensely relational. I mean, I can hardly read that and walk away from it without sometimes shedding a tear. Can I get an amen, Jamie? <laughs> I mean, he's the, one, he's the one whom we esteemed him stricken, right? He, he bore our, our sins in his own body. Not just to satisfy a legal demand. Yes, absolutely. But the extent to which the Father loved us is that he hung his son on the cross to bear the eternal weight and wrath that was justly due to us, took on his son. And i got a scripture here. It's, it's footnoted, but i got to find it because I think it's fitting. Yeah, Isaiah 53, 11, As a result of the anguish of his soul, speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus, he will see it and be satisfied by the knowledge of the righteous one, my servant. He will bear the, and he will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. And all of this is done to fulfill that need. us that we cannot be made right with God on our own. We can't do it ourselves. So David knew this and his hope was ultimately in God's promise to one day undo the curse and make him righteous so that he may see God. You see that David longed to see God. He had that hope in it. He was so bold enough to say one day I will see you and I'll see you in righteousness. Not a righteousness of my own then I'm going to try and muster up, but I trust in you to carry out your promises to make you righteous. Now th- think, think about this. Just let this kind of run through your mind and your heart. David is sitting on that side of the cross. Jesus hadn't come. The, the, the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Isaiah, all, of these, all of these other prophecies had not come. David has fewer promises. Or fewer pieces of the puzzle than we do. When you think about what we've gone through with the kids so far, that's probably about what he's got, right? I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to make of you a great nation from Abraham. And in you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And I'm going to have a kingly lion that's going to come out of you. There's probably not, there's, you know, there's some more in there, but not a whole lot more. And yet David, in his faith, says one day I'll see you in righteousness. Now you think where we are. We sit this side of the cross having all of those other pieces come together. Christ already died on the cross. You have the gospels. You have Acts. You have Paul's writings in the New Testament. You have all of these things. How much greater hope and how much greater pursuit should we have in being satisfied in God? Because of what Christ has already done for us. This was David's hope that God would one day fulfill his promise, undo the curse, make him righteous so that he could see God. And in seeing God, he would be satisfied. This is point three. He'd be satisfied in seeing God. Look at the contrast of what David says in verse 14 and 15. Okay, context for this psalm, maybe I should have given this at the beginning, but... David writes this psalm as he's being pursued by Saul in the wilderness. Okay, remember, if you know the story, Saul's trying to kill David. David and Jonathan kind of cook up this plan. Okay, is he still trying to kill me? I'll shoot the arrow you know, and and I'll you know, I'll tell you. You know whether or not my th- my dad's trying to kill you. Comes out, yep, dad's still trying to kill you. You better leave. So David flees, and he spends time in the in the wilderness. He's fleeing. He gathers a band of of basically his own army around him. But he's he's fleeing from Saul, and so many of the psalms are written as David is hiding from Saul. And in here he writes. He says. Deliver me, O Lord. Arise. Confront him. Bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. From men with your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. So you see the contrast there. He he uses those words intentionally. Satisfied here in verse 14 and satisfied in verse 15. What he's doing is contrasting those who put their hope, I think that's what he means by portion, puts their hope in the temporal things of this life contrasted with him who hopes one day to see God face to face. Okay, so let's ask a question. Is David saying, well, you shouldn't... if you have children, clearly you have your hope in this life. Or if you desire to leave anything, possessions, monetary value, anything like that to your children, clearly you have, your mis- you, you have misplaced priorities. No, he's not at all. Because De- didn't David become a king? I mean, he had phenomenal powers, he had phenomenal resources, right? He had children, Solomon comes out of that, Right? He, he leaves something to his children. He leaves an entire dynasty to Solomon. So David wasn't advocating a minimalist or a monkish type lifestyle, right? He became king. He gave an inheritance to his own son. Solomon, wasn't Solomon one of the richest kings in the Old Testament? Solomon also wrote in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he wrote about the wisdom of leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children. And in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you read those two books, you you walk away seeing Solomon. He wrote about the the tension of having, having things in this life and not being satisfied in what you have. One of the verses in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he sums this up well. He said, "...he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves an abundance." And yet, resources are necessary, right? The eyes of men are never satisfied with things, because we were made to be satisfied in God. This is a good summary of what what, what Solomon writes, in Ecclesiastes, and in, in Proverbs, what he tries to emphasize. And, and I think it's easy. Is I think it's easy for us to lay hold of. There's a law of diminishing returns in the things that we get, right? I, mean, I think I can prove that pretty easily. I mean, think last year, maybe something you got for Christmas, something you bought for yourself, and it doesn't have to be a gift, you know, something that you were like, ooh, I want that. How satisfied are you right now with that thing? Less than what you were when you bought it. Right? Now, what about something you got five years ago? Ten years ago? Maybe you're like, well, yes, it, it fills a need and I'm satisfied with it, but the emotional response you maybe had or thought you were going to have at the time is different, right? There's, there's a law of diminishing returns and temporal things that we acquire, they don't fulfill, they don't satisfy f- for us as we move forward in the future. And so the eyes of men are never satisfied with things because we're made to be satisfied in God. David writes poetically about this right he says i will be satisfied in god paul paul kind of argues for this logically in first corinthians okay first corinthians you know first corinthians 13 right that's the chapter about love right love is patient love is kind okay when, in in first corinthians 11 or 12 excuse me 12 paul's trying to convince the corinthian corinthians pursue the greater gift of greater spiritual gift of love okay and and love Right? Love is a relational virtue. Whether that's a spouse, you know, a, a, a romantic relationship, whether that's a child and a parent, friendships, you know, church body, any of that, it's, it's relational, right? It, it's kind of hard to have that virtue by yourself. It doesn't work that way. Okay? So love is a, it's a relational virtue. So Paul is trying to argue with the Corinthians, pursue love, pursue this, and then he says, "All right, I'll show you why." In the first part of chapter thirteen, he contrasts love with other temporal gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues. Okay, and then he closes his argument by stating that look, he says, "Corinthians pursue this, pursue the greater gift of love, because when Christ returns, the things that are temporal give way to the things that are eternal." In verse thirteen twelve. Paul grounds his argument in the future completed restoration of a relationship with God. Let me read this for you, okay? He says, for now. Okay, the question is, why should we pursue love? Why should we pursue the relational virtue of love above the other gifts? Why should we want that most? Paul says because when Christ returns the things that are temporal give way to the things that are eternal. Because now we see in a mirror dimly but then we see face to face. Now I know in part but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Don't you love Paul? Clear as day, right? I know that it's hard to swallow so let me see if I can. I had to really, I had to really chew on this. What Paul's saying is that when Jesus comes, well, well, I say this the other gifts, they serve the purpose of bringing clarity to our relationship with God. When Jesus comes, they're no longer necessary because it's clear. So fully knowing God, I think that's what Paul says when he says, "Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Then I will know God fully, just as I am fully known, just as He fully knows me." So fully knowing God and being satisfied in Him, there's there's the connection right uh, between. Where that where Paul is and what Paul's trying to advocate for in, in love. Love with one another and love with God. Being satisfied in God. The connection between that and what David says when he says, I will be satisfied when I see God. Right? Fully knowing God and being satisfied in Him. That's one of the ends of that's the end of the gospel. That's what we're moving towards. Paul says, when, when Jesus comes. The main thing that's left is our love in God and our relationship with Him because we know Him as He knows us. Think back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve walked with God. They were satisfied there. The intimate, close relationship with God and then sin broke that. And Paul, Paul says when Jesus comes back, the curse is broken. It's done away with and we have that intimate fellowship with God. So pursue love now because you'll have a greater experience of that when Christ comes. Pursue the things that are eternal now, because when Christ comes, the things that are temporal give way to what's eternal. And that's primarily summed up in our being satisfied in our relationship with, with God. So here's the key point in, in all of that. I know there's a lot, and in, in all of that all that David did, I think, all that David did in the exercise of his power, his resources, his time, he did with the goal and the hope in mind of being satisfied in God. I don't think you can make sense of what he says there about the children and leave, you know and and uh, and, and leaving an abundance to their babies. I don't think you can square how he lives life as a king with what he says here in this contrast unless that's true that means that he had a different relationship with stuff and resources because he was satisfied because the goal of his life was to be satisfied in God I'll get to that in a minute in application but I want you to see that that David all that he did in the exercise of his power and his resources his time he did with the goal in mind with that rock solid hope that one day he will see God and be satisfied in him it was the drumbeat of his life, and then the last thing, fourth, is that David's ultimate hope was a future one, as it is with us. He says, "I will be satisfied in your likeness when I awake." I don't think that he means, you know, when I'm a, I'm going to go to sleep in this dark cave, you know, with my band of merry men around me, and you know, it's dark, and I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm I'm fearful someone might kill me, but I'll be satisfied when the light comes and you know and I and I awake and I can have my devotional with you. Partly maybe maybe he had a scroll he pulled out and read I don't I don't know how all that worked, you know. But he's pointing forward to one day I will see you face to face when I awake. That language of awake is is i is characteristic. Of being raised from the dead. To pointing forward to hope in a future resurrection. You get shadows and kind of glimpses of this in the Old Testament. Right? That's not the point of the message today. But there are shadows and glimpses of a future hope and resurrection. That become clearer as you get into the New Testament. And this is one of those. One day... Lord, I want you to preserve me. I want you to save me from Saul and his band of army. I want you to preserve me. You've given this promise. One day I'll be king. I don't know what all that's going to look like, but I know that you're doing something. Preserve me because my fundamental hope and my fundamental drumbeat of my life is to be satisfied in you. Partially now because I'm not righteous. I'm not fit. But one day you will carry out your promises. I may not live to see that day. And so one day when I awake, and I'll be righteous because you'll make me righteous and I can see you face to face. Do you get that? You lay hold of that. And now we move forward in the New Testament. We see that when you get to Revelation and the new heaven is a new earth, this is the fundamental core of what's promised. Revelation 21.3 John sees in heaven he says I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men. Remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It's the only place where God met with people and he only met with the high priest once a year. Right? Shekinah glory in the tab- tabernacle right? And here the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. In the next chapter over John's continuing this vision, new heavens and new earth. And he says, there will no longer be any curse. What does that look like? Then there's no no longer any curse. Don't get boo-boos. Right? I don't have to work and pay bills. I don't get sick. There's no longer any tears. Yes, all of those things. But what does does John drill down on? What What does God show him that he tells us? He says, they will see my face. And their names will be, and my name will be on their forehead. You see that the emphasis in the new heavens and the new earth isn't so much about the city, isn't so much about the tangible things, although they are there. It's primarily about the satisfaction that we have in our relationship with God. Is it any coincidence that the beginning of the book the Genesis begins with Adam and Eve walked with God? They saw God face to face. Had a relationship with him. The end of the Bible, when everything comes to fruit, you know, to end, is they walk with God. They see him face to face. And they're satisfied in that relationship with him. John also noticed, he says, you know what? He's, I'm, I'm, he's seeing in this vision, and he says, There's no temple. There's, there's no temple there. But this was before. This was before Jerusalem fell, right? The temple hadn't been destroyed. It was a center of, of Jewish worship and played a crucial role in the Christians trying to figure out, what does this look like for us, you know, here? What relationship do we have with the temple? And John says when the new heavens and the new earth come there's no temple. There's no temple. The Trinitarian God is the temple. People meet with God face to face. And that's it. The Bible closes with the completion of that hope. There's not a lot more verses left in the Bible. That's it. The Bible closes where the completion of our hope in walking with God and seeing him face to face, it ends, it closes there. So there's, there's my four points, kind of looking at this from, from, from David's perfect, you know, perspective and, and his hope, the hope that's in his life. So let me make a couple points of application and we'll be done. Right, what do we do? What do we take away from this? I just ask you this, is that your heart's desire is to see God one day? I think if the Bible makes a big deal out of that, then we should too, right? And so I challenge you, let that be your desire. Let that be the drumbeat of your life and pursue God, right? Be like Jacob who wrestled with God in the wilderness and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's a bold request. His arm, his, his shoulder, I think, or no, hip. His hip was dislocated because of it. Right? Okay. Total different sermon. Don't get into that, Austin. Okay. But he wrestled with God until God blessed him. Wrestle with God, right? I mean, you're in the almost not yet, right? You have a relationship with God through Jesus. You have something that David did not necessarily have through Christ, the Holy Spirit, right, given to you, and yet you're not completed yet. There's still a wrestling of the new self and the old self that takes place if you're in Jesus. Wrestle. Ask God to bless you with himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pursue him. Be satisfied in him through his word, through prayer. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? How can I live in such a way that exalts your name? Struggle with that. There's a shadow over you. Lord, show me Jesus I can't tell you how many times I open the Bible. I'm like, I don't know what to pray. I've got so many things going on in my head. I'm already shifted into work mode. Lord, show me Christ. Just show me Jesus. Show me. I don't know, I don't know what to ask for. I have a million things go through my mind. I struggle to, st- to pay attention. Lord, just show me Jesus. Show me Christ in your word. Help me to value him at, at like I should. It's amazing how many times the Lord will pull a verse and just lay that on me. Pursue God. Let that be the drumbeat of your life. Recognize, too, that without Christ, there is no satisfaction. It's quite the opposite. Hell is the ultimate dissatisfaction. Any temporal joys that you might go through, go through a hard week, you're like, nah, it's, just, it's Friday, you know, thank goodness for the weekend. I get to spend time with some family. Okay, I ate a good meal, smoked some meat, and well, you, I mean, you fill in the blank. Any sort of temporal enjoyments that we enjoy in this life are common grace. That without Christ, when we die or when Christ returns, we stand before the judgment seat Christ, uh, before the judgment seat of God. Without Christ, that you're cast into an eternity of dissatisfaction. And that word should land more on you than I bit into a peanut and it was bad. That's a weighty word when you look at it in Scripture. Without Christ there's no future satisfaction. Only phenomenal dissatisfaction. I think John Lennon had it very, very wrong in the Beatles song, Imagine. If you know the song, or imagine all the people, or imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you can. All of these things. I think he was very, very wrong in it. Because in the song, the problem is religion, it's possessions, it's national boundaries, it's ethnic groupings. And you know, if we can just get rid of all of these things, we'll be satisfied. Call me a dreamer. I hope you'll join me one day. It was phenomenally wrong because the problem isn't religion. It's not possessions. It's not those racial groupings. It's the broken relationship that we have with those. And only Jesus can fix that relationship. It's why he came. It's why there was a baby born in a manger. Who lived a life of obedience to the Father. Suffered and died on the cross. Bore our sin in his body. Had victory over the grave, rose three days later and is now seated at the right hand of God. To whom we will forever and eternity worship and will be satisfied in that worship. Only Jesus can fix that. Third, what else can we take away from this? I think when, when, when that's the drumbeat of our life, that that's the, our heart's desire is to one day see God and be satisfied in Him and to pursue that, we have a different relationship with the temporal things in this life that we're tempted to find our ultimate satisfaction in. So let me challenge you. Let that be the drumbeat of your life. And let resources be used as an outpouring of your being satisfied in God. Okay? We have a different relationship with stuff. A lot of times I think and i've been asked this you know can i do this as a christian can i go on this vacation or can i can i buy this or you know can i can i do this or can i do that i think that's the wrong question to ask initially so what's your greatest love what's your greatest affection and then your your behaviors flow out of that i was listening to a podcast it wasn't a Christian podcast but I know a, a couple of the hosts or at least one is a professing Christian and the man came on. It was, a, it was about finances and how to you know the topic was about finances, how to deal with, with that and the man had paid off most of his debts and he, he, he felt guilty for like buying stuff for himself. And the hosts the, the, the host were kind of batting this question around. They kind of landed on the fact that the church had saddled him with this guilt. No, And they talked a little bit more about this, and I'm like, that's not entirely wrong, but you're not really casting a vision for this man for how he should view his relationship with things. He'd swung the total opposite direction in this idea that I have to live this minimalist lifestyle, and I have to give everything away in order to be satisfied. And I feel guilty for buying something for myself. He didn't have a view. Of course, I mean, this again, this wasn't a pastoral thing, so you know, but I struggled because I couldn't call and say, Hey, you need to do a better job of counseling this. So so you get this. <laughs> but his relationship with his stuff should change in Christ. Then instead of stuff being our true satisfaction, when God is our true satisfaction then God is glorified in the exercise of our resources when we use them as a blessing and to exalt God and to demonstrate that God is our greatest treasure. I'm sure I pulled that from, from somewhere. No. I come up with that on my own, I don't know. God is then glorified in the exercise of our resources, whether they're few, whether they're many. And they don't rob us of our true satisfaction, which is in God. Okay, it's me. you know, I, I love the Chronicles of Narnia you know, stories. And uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader is one of my favorite ones. I'm actually reading through that with my, with my kids. And then at the end of the movie, I don't know if this happens in the book, but at the end of the movie, there's a scene where Reepicheep, the, the little mouse, he's one of my favorite characters. I mean, he's just like swashbuckling, you know, honorable guy. that's loving to go and dash into adventure and, you know, just such a brave, brave character. But he's always got his little sword. And and it's part of who he is, and he gets to the end of the movie. He's going into Aslan's country. It's kind of the picture of, of, of heaven, and he's going in there. And he takes his sword and he sticks it in the ground. He says, "I won't be needing this anymore," and it just sticks with me because it's such part of who he is, and he's so easily willing to let it go. His relationship with that sword was it was a tool to get him there, and when he got there, he stick it in the ground. He'd, He didn't need it anymore. It's kind of the relationship that we have with our resources. They're they're tools in order to demonstrate to the world that our greatest joy is in God. And they should be used for that exercise. That's That's how you run away from the love of money and love of possessions. It's not having them. So they become your, your, your source of joy and they rob you of your true source of joy. So I'm going to challenge you. As you think about your job, your career, your future, how does your desire to see God and be satisfied in Him, how does that factor into those future goals? Your future goals for your career. May not have all that kind of figured out? Is is the the pursuit, whatever you're in, is that a, I'm not satisfied in this because I want this or I want, you know, there's a stepping stone or something or is it, Lord, I got these desires, I kind of got these hopes, I don't know how they fit together but I want you to be exalted, I want you to be glorified in whatever I do. So whatever my hand finds to do, that you put my hand towards, you put my efforts towards, would you be exalted in it? Would you be exalted in that? Are your goals for retirement. I know that's, sometimes it's not, you know, for, for many that's, that's not thought of. Or if that's thought. Did you get, you know, what, what's your goals there? I wrestled with that. And coming through this study, I'm like, man, you know, maybe my goals there would be, Lord, if you were to free me up in such a way that I could be a blessing to more people. Right? I mean, if you love people and you want to be a blessing to people, what is your greatest hindrance to that? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's time. You know, i got to work nine to five. I got to work 12 to whatever. If you were freed from that, you have that opportunity. Right? You have a new relationship with those types of things. So, in that, let me just challenge you again. If, if seeing God and being satisfied in Him is your just the drumbeat of your life, it changes the nature of the relationship that you have with all the things that are temporal. In such a way that you're challenged to use those and really you're freed to use those in ways that exalt God and, and turn around and demonstrate that God is your greatest treasure and your greatest joy. It doesn't mean you can't have those things. The relationship you have with the things you have changes. Does that make sense? And we we'll go on a whole series on that, but I'll leave you with that to kind of kinda mull over. All right, and last two. When Christ, when when God seeing God, being satisfied in him, and that's the goal, the drumbeat of our life, as it was with David, I feel like that was with, with Paul. that was with so many others in the in this in the scriptures. We recognize that any enjoyment in this life, there are echoes of future complete enjoyment that we'll have in God. Sometimes we get to the holidays, we get to Christmas, and I know when I was a kid, it was all about presents. And now that I'm an adult and I have kids, it's not so much about presents, it's about, well, let's get together as a family. I want to see my kids, you know, enjoy it, right? I mean, that's kind of transferred, you know. And for a, lot of, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's, well, let's make memories. These are good things and they should be pursued, but they all should show us, they all should echo. The joy that we'll have in God when we see Him face to face and we're all together. Right? Any enjoyments that we have in this life they're echoes of the future completed enjoyment that we'll have in God. And the the last thing. Enjoy life but do not let those enjoyments be the primary source of your satisfaction. Enjoy the giver above and beyond the gift. This was David's pursuit in his life. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Let's pray. Father God, so much is here. I pray that I've brought some clarity to your word. I know you've challenged me through through your scriptures, through this one verse. So Father, I pray that you would help that to be the drumbeat of our life. I love for people that come to Haven Ridge and mix it up with people who are here, who are part of this church to say they love God and they long to see Him face to face and they live like people who really, really want that. I want that to be the drumbeat of my life. So many things compete, so many lesser pleasures and joys compete with that help keep that as a flag in front of me as I run, may I run faithfully towards that goal that one day I may stand before you see you face to face in righteousness clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and I may worship and be satisfied Father would you be exalted in all of our lives as we pursue you, we seek to know you. And just as we are fully known by you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you, may he lift up his countenance toward you, may he give you peace. You're dismissed.